Welcome to Authors of the Pacific Northwest, where we connect authors with new listeners and provide advice to aspiring authors on the business of writing. I'm your host, Vicki J. Carter. So hi there, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for coming back to the Authors of the Pacific Northwest. And this week, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Amber Cowie. So Amber, say hello to the listeners. Hi, pleasure to be here. Oh, we're so happy to have you. And so listeners, I'm going to come right out of the bat and just say, if I sound a little different today, it's because I'm struggling with that ridiculous cold that everybody has oh. been going around with, but I wasn't going to cancel out on Amber. <laughs> so, <laughs> so here we are again. So Amber, why don't you share with us a little bit about yourself and start out with um, where you live in the Northwest? Sure. Great. Yeah. So I don't know how far you have stretched with your previous guests, but I'm probably at the northern extent of the <laughs> <laughs> I live in Canada and I live in a small town that's about halfway in between Whistler and Vancouver um, called Squamish, BC. So it's a uh, it's pretty rainy here right now, um, but it's a lovely, beautiful place to live I'm right beside the ocean and the mountains stretch around me. Um, and it's a small town, which is very lovely as well. And I adore Canada. So um, been able to travel quite a bit on the our northwest side of Canada, up north, all up to Kamloops and farther. Okay, yes, yeah. that's really close to where I grew up. Yeah, I grew yeah. up in Kamloops. Um, I, like I took the, my last two years of high school there, but I actually spent most of my childhood in a small town that's an hour and a half north of Kamloops called Clearwater. Oh, I love Clearwater too. Been there. Oh, yeah. 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 Wow, I love it. Unusual. <laughs> I know. I know. Well, my husband's music world, um, we were fortunate enough with the uh, group that he was with. They asked us to come up and I'm to Canada for a while and we were there. I loved it. it. But it truly is. I feel like Canada is probably one of the most exciting places, at least on our side where it's at, because when you come down, going down towards Victoria, where you're getting closer, you know, to Seattle, Victoria, you get into a little bit of a European feeling. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, then, and then when you go up, you know, north towards into the mountains and the woods, it's very, very rustic, but it's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, and it's an incredible landscape too, because that's like a, a really unique um, area in Canada, it's a bit of a desert around Kamloops and it's so, it's such a contrast to like the sort of coastal temperate zones that we think of when we think of the Pacific Northwest and um, living down here, like I, I have really just one season. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Too, you know, sort of rainy and not rainy. Um, yeah. But when I grew up, there was four beautiful, incredible seasons and um, it's a really, really breathtaking part of the world, I think. And not to mention my two favorite things about Canada that I love is the um, the ketchup chips that oh, <laughs> <laughs> our friends from Canada introduced us to. And now we're like, yes, ketchup chips. And I also really love the fact, so this is something that's super funny. Um, so we used to go to Victoria a lot. And we actually, my husband and I went on this big thing where um, we stopped celebrating Thanksgiving. We, I just was tired of doing family stuff. So we would go to Canada for Thanksgiving because right. like, nobody does. Yeah. And so we took our kids quite often um, to Victoria. And, um, and, and the thing that I loved is every time we would stop to get directions, everybody would look past my husband and talk directly to me everywhere we went. And finally, I asked a Canadian, I go, 
do you guys realize that when um, we're like talking in a group or something, everybody deflects to me? And, and they're like, yeah, that's kind of normal for us because we're very mon- monar- monarchy. Um, sure. And okay. I'm like, I love Canada. <laughs> Let's move. <laughs> it was so fascinating <laughs> to me. You know, I, I have to say, I don't even get me started on the royal family at this moment. <laughs> I mean, like there's these rumors buzzing around that Meghan Markle. Oh, I heard. <laughs> oh my. Well, I am a total royal fanatic. Yeah, you might not know this about you and I might have to talk about this another time, but I write historical fiction. I'm writing around Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth the first, not her, but around her time period. Fascinating. So I'm totally into all of it. I'm like, really? This is very interesting. And all my friends are like, Vicky, we don't care. And I'm like, what do you mean you don't care about the monarchy? Okay, then you super need to move to Canada. I know. Like, a lot more people, like my oh, grandma listen, would just I've been threatening and- for years and just, you know, a few years ago with our politics, I'm like, that's it. I'm out of here. Yeah. <laughs> so many reasons. Vicky, oh, so yeah. Many reasons. Well, maybe I will. You know, it's beautiful. So you got me convinced. So I'm sorry, podcast listeners, you had to go down that road, but it, it just was something that was very funny that I relate to Canadians with a lot. So, okay. So let's go, let's kind of side back around to, um, tell us a little bit, um, Amber, do you have a day job? Are you one of our lucky people that get to write full time? Oh, wow. Well, that's a big, huge (laughs) can of worms. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I have two kids, so I write in the moments that are available to me what, as I'm trying to configure their lives and make sure everything's working smoothly in our house. Um, I do side jobs still sometimes. I worked for many years as a grant writer. Um, it's like a great way for somebody who has an affinity for writing to make a living. And um, so that's the kind of job where sometimes contracts and proposals come my way. So occasionally I take them on. Mm-hmm. I also freelance. I write a lot um, of short pieces and kind of put those out into the world, which is it also a good way to sort of make in, income in between books? Mm-hmm. Um, and at the moment, actually, I'm looking into a little bit more teaching. I've been doing some teaching at um, conferences, and there's like maybe some opportunities locally to work um, with like college students at workshops about writing. Cause I've, I've done a lot of different kinds of writing in my life. I, as I said, I've been a grant writer. I've also worked as a reporter and, um, I worked as a magazine writer for, um, an outdoor recreation magazine. Um, and so when you have sort of the technical side and also the creative side, there's <laughs> a lot of lessons you've learned yeah. along the way. Um, so it's, interesting and and really I find very very valuable for me to teach because I think every time you start thinking about structure and um the kinds of things that make a story work it makes you a better writer Um, yeah so that's kind of where I'm at but the honest truth is I don't have a lot of hours available. Yeah, well, you have two kids at home. Yeah. I understand. <laughs> yes. So everything's a bit of a juggle. I, I join the 5 a.m. club of writers quite often. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I, 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 I didn't write when my kids were little. I just didn't have, I didn't have the, 
I was thinking about it the other day. I didn't have the creative energy. It felt like I felt like all my energy was going into the kids all the time. And so the creative space wasn't there. It didn't start returning back to me until my kids got much, much older and actually moved out of the house. (laughs) Which is sad to say, but both of the kids are out of the house and now I'm starting to become very creative again because I have nothing to put all that energy into, I think. Um, And um, so I completely relate that. So you do have a full-time job. Being a mother is an absolute 100% full-time job. And, and um, I love, but I do love your background. You have a lot of awesome background to share with people. So that, that's great because not everybody has the grant writing alone. So I work in higher ed and I know how specific grant writing can be. <laughs> and it scares me. I've never written a grant. Well, I've, I've uh, amended a grant once, a few paragraphs, but I didn't actually write the full grant. So, the so best advice I ever got when I started grant writing was from a really amazing woman who was a mentor of mine. And she told me that you should just treat a grant like an exam. Yeah. <laughs> so just answer all the questions and then you're usually okay. Yeah. That's so such great advice, but it's true. So if you've never looked at a grant individuals uh, listening to the podcast, it really is. There's a lot of questions. You have a to lot ask. of questions. Yeah, so. And a lot of numbers. Yes. You got to have some data behind everything to, to prove it. So, so very cool. Well, here's a question that I like to ask um, all of my authors coming on the podcast because I I think it's fun um, and it helps me a lot to add to my list of things to do. So we're told as um, writers, we should be reading. Now, I understand you don't have a lot of time, but what is currently on your your shelf next to your bed when you go to bed to go read? If you get a chance to do that, you might I I (laughs) never, ever, ever go to sleep without reading. So it doesn't matter how tired I am. I, it's, it's, you know, very difficult for me actually to fall asleep unless I've read a sentence or two at least. (laughs) Um, But usually it's a lot more than that. So um, I just finished, it's so weird. This is a strange transition at the moment, but I often find at the beginning of the new year, like I I tend to be a little bit eclectic in my taste. I try to read outside of my genre Uh um, when I'm in between deadlines. And so I, I'm super late to the party on this one, but I just finished the first two books in the Outlander series. <gasps> my favorite. Feeling, if you like historical oh, fiction, oh my goodness. Oh, so this is, no, seriously, my all-time favorite. But I'm a very latecomer to the books too. I didn't even start them until um, I think eight or nine years ago. So I wasn't like original Outlander, but I did start before the series came out. <laughs> okay. Okay. So yeah. So I'm like <laughs> the, the, the generation of Outlander readers behind you. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Like, oh my goodness. Have you guys ever heard of Jamie and Claire? <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, and I have to say that the cliffhanger of the second book was mm-hmm. just like, oh my gosh, I've been waiting the entire book to mm-hmm. hear more about, did you say Galus? Galus, Galus yeah. Galus. Galus, so yeah, Galus, just yeah. like phenomenal character. And I was, and then it's comes in the last three chapters. And I was like, oh my gosh, I want to read the third one. But I had received a number of books for Christmas. And one of oh. them was a book that I've wanted to read for probably... 15 years. Um, so I'm pausing my Outlander journey for just oh. a period um, to read In Cold Blood. By oh, Jesus. I love In Cold Blood too. I'm, re- I'm like about two thirds of the way through it right now. Can't stop. It's so good. It's everything that I thought it was going to be. I oh, yeah. 
Yeah. I'm riveted by true crime at the moment. Um, I think In Cold Blood was one of my first true crime books I ever read. And like, rightly so. I mean, mm-hmm. it's really the start of the canon, right? That's mm-hmm. like a good one to start with. Because I think a lot of them can be quite lurid. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and honestly, I think it is truly one of the best ones too. But I read it way back in high school because it was on our reading list for our journalism class. That's and, awesome. And I was like, why am I reading this? You know, I mean, I'm this sheltered high schooler girl and, you know, yeah. and I'm and I got hooked, line and sinker, not only into, but also their style of writing. I was like, this is fantastic. So, so how funny is that? That's so funny. Okay. So I, have you seen the Outlander series at all? No, I haven't. I, until you finish reading everything. (laughs) Yeah. That's, I think what I'm going to do. Cause I like, you know, obviously I've seen like the thumbnail and like, like I know which actors have been cast in the roles. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've not seen it because I generally find I don't like to watch things first. Yeah, I don't either. It really disappoints me. <laughs> yeah, the books are always better. Always, always better. So much yeah. better. So here's my my take on it. So I read all of the Outlander books and was telling, my husband's not a reader, so I tell him the stories, right? Oh. So I retold oh, him all the stories as I was reading because I was so fascinated with it. it really- <laughs> but which parts did you tell him, Vicky? <laughs> All of it. The whole thing. Are you kidding me? I'm like, and I'm not even a big fan of major sex scenes in books or anything, but I'm like, you've got to hear this. This is totally crazy. So you tell him the whole thing. So that, you know, that obviously is why I'm totally addicted to, you know, certain time periods and, and culture and everything. But, but it's funny. So then we started to watch the series and the first, the first season, I was terribly disappointed. And so is he, and for me, and I'm not saying this for everybody, so please, listeners, don't send me hate mail. <laughs> I was disappointed how they casted some of the characters. And okay. I'm like, that's not what I pictured. <laughs> and I had to totally let it go because the storyline is still great. But I'm like, that's not how... I-. So my some of my characters have actually... The way I wrote them, I was just telling my writers group this two weeks ago they were commenting on one of my characters and they're like, you see so vivid and blah. I'm like, well, it's because I was disappointed in a series of how they casted a character that I was really in love with. So now I've written that character in my book the way I want him to be. <laughs> that's amazing. That's, I mean, that's like the perfect thing, place to put all of those feelings into yeah. like a character of your own. I have yeah. definitely done that myself. Like yeah. just, you know, it's an excellent way to channel energy about someone or feeling to like create a character that can embody that. I think oh, that's, man. Yeah. yeah. Well, we've, we've deviated. And so one other thing I do, I did find out the last two weeks ago, um, I was talking to somebody else about podcasts. Oh, it's Sarah. Sarah's my my mentor for podcasting. And she was mentioning podcasts in a thing I was doing with her. And she's like, yeah. And she was talking about there's Outlander podcasts. Now, me being a podcast fanatic, I don't know how I didn't know that there's tons of them. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, I can't go down that rabbit hole too. Oh my goodness. That is the definition of podcast too. Because like for me right now, I am, I don't have a lot of time to listen to podcasts, unfortunately. And I would, if I didn't like podcasts that were so 
kind like violent in nature. Yeah, true crimes know? that your kids can't listen to with exactly. you. Yes. <laughs> like I'm obsessed with criminal. I, I mm-hmm. love it. I, I listen to it every single time I can, but it's detailing these crimes. Oh, and yeah. I'm like, my seven-year-old doesn't need to be here. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Not yet. It has to be her choice. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, let's get back to you because we've just been really chatty um, about Outlander, but let's get back to specifically um, share with the listeners because they don't know. I I know because I got to do some digging about you before you came on the show and and stuff, but tell us a little bit about your genre and what you write in, which I think everybody would probably figure out. Yeah, well, certainly it's not historical fiction. I um, I write though I I read a lot of historical fiction. I um I write in the genre of suspense thriller. Um, when I have to really dig into it, I would call my genre domestic thriller. Okay. So generally, like sort of in the tradition of like Megan Abbott, Gillian Flynn, um, Ruth Ware, Emily Carpenter, like where the motivation for crimes or violent behavior isn't necessarily materially driven, has more of like a psychological and an emotional element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's what interests me. Those are definitely the kinds of books I read uh, mostly. And, um, and for sure, it's the kind of stories that I have in my head. I just can't seem to write <laughs> a trustworthy narrator. <laughs> I, um, I find that it's really like a, a place where there's a lot of chance to explore things, particularly about female characters mm-hmm. that I don't think have really been fully given their due as of yet. Oh, I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like that. That's awesome. So you and I were talking before we came um, on audio, you know, recording. I often talk um, listeners to the authors before that we come on. And you were talking a little bit, um, and you mentioned that you'd been doing some teaching um, and in workshops, and you had done um, some up here, up, well, actually, we're down from you. So You are yeah. down from me quite a lot. <laughs> down here from, with us. Um, so what kind of workshops do you do? Do you talk about how you bring out that um, criminal emotional side? What, what's kind of your topic of choice when you do a workshop? Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, I think that generally with writing workshops, there's two, I would say two groups, um, uh, particularly at conferences. And there's those that are very technically driven. So um, more about the structure and kind of mechanics of writing. And then there's those that are kind of asking the bigger thematic questions. Mm-hmm. And that is certainly where things like I uh, moderated a panel at Left Coast Crime about psychiatric disorders and crime fiction. Oh, so cool. (laughs) It was fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. It was such a great panel. Um, And of course, like it was, yeah, it was Sunday morning, first thing, which I think is like a pretty tough slot, you know, that's like the night after the big banquet, the morning after the the night of the big banquet. But um, it was, it was really, really well attended and people were so engaged. And so I think that there's a real interest in these Mm -hmm. kinds of characters and motivations. Um, I, by but getting back to the teaching part, I've been focusing mainly on the technical side of writing in the teaching that I've been doing. Um, so at the Pacific Northwest West Writers Association Conference, I got to do a workshop on something that I've always hated, but I actually think that's the best thing that you should teach. Exactly. <laughs> you really had to dig into it and understand it and come to terms with it. And so I did a workshop on outlining. 
Oh, you hate outlining. I, you know, I don't, I, Vicki, I, I, it's just that my outlines when I first began writing were <laughs> kind of like, if you've ever seen like a beautiful mind, if you remember like those, yeah, yeah. yeah like it was just scribbles like and crazy doodles and, and, and pieces of dialogue that I just kind of stick in and they were like handwritten on like uh, full scap paper, legal paper. And I'd have so many of them and I'd usually like lose a page of them <laughs> as I was beginning to write it. And so I kind of come on this journey, um, to like a, a much more organized way of doing it. And only because I now understand all the different ways that an outline can be used because generally you can use it for a synopsis, for example. You can um, start to build like teasers and promo. If you write your outline correctly, then a lot of the material that you'll need after, after the book is accepted mm-hmm. and you'll will be there. And I, because I have such a small amount of time, you I'm just much maximize more, that, right? Yeah. yeah be yeah. efficient. And I think yeah. an outline can really help you be efficient. I love it. I, I didn't think that I would be an outliner kind of author because when I started writing, it just was the story was in my head. And I just had to blurp it out on the paper, right? Get it out. But I came to a point where I really wanted to spend a lot of time on my story and I knew the storyline was going to go across multiple places and time. And so I'm like, I'm never going to be able to keep track of all of this in my head or in the storyline. So but I'm naturally a very organized person. So I sat down and did a very long in-depth couple of weeks work of character development and outlining and it saved my behind so many times. I love it as I'm working through this story that I'm writing. But what I also love is that um, still even with that, some of the creative stuff is still parts and scenes that have come out that weren't on the outline can still fit into it. I can still have them create and then find a place for it, right? Yeah. I try to start with um, 20 chapters in my outline mm-hmm. and knowing that there's always going to be things that come up and transitions that are needed. Like, cause ultimately my chapters are usually quite long. So I kind of, my, I usually end up around between 30 and 35 chapters in at the end of a fully finished novel. And so that's like, you know, there's a 50% <laughs> like inclusion rate there where yeah, I'm just yeah. like coming up with stuff on the fly. Cause you, I need to flow too. I'm the same as you but it's nice to hit the marks, right? Like there are times where you're like, you have to be here. How are you getting here? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, readers know that too. If you don't hit that mark and somehow you magically got your characters to a place that they should have never been, everybody's going to know it. (laughs) Absolutely, absolutely. And like, you know, even getting into like really the nitty gritty of it, but when my first novel was, went to a developmental editor, um, one of my main characters in one of the scenes had been pregnant for like 15 months, right? <laughs> like stuff like that. That I was like, baby. Yeah, my, my greatest weakness, I'll admit this forever. And I have to apologize to all my editors, like probably for the rest of my life, but timelines. Timelines are hard though. We were just discussing this in my writer's group. Timelines can be very, very challenging, especially if, I don't know if you're like me, but my writing time isn't consistently every day, same time every day, right? I have to fit it in. So there might be some chunks between my writing times. And even though I try to go back and read the last few chapters I wrote before I start writing again, I don't always. And so I could write something not exactly 
correctly in the timeline. And then my reader group that I have, they'll always point that out to me. You know, Vicki, summer, we're now in summer and that was supposed to be, we were just leaving winter, you know, yeah. like that. So timelines are really, really challenging. Do you have a, a way to help yourself through that now? Yes, I'm like... Long? I, okay, so I had a whole like Microsoft Word, Excel spreadsheet combination that I was going with and it was working quite well, but I am a very, very new user of Scrivener. I love Scrivener. I'm starting to use it too. Yeah. So I'm like, that's where I'm at for the newest book that I'm plotting, but um, I am also editing a manuscript that already exists and it is in it's was written in, in Microsoft Word. So I don't know if I'm going to transfer it over and kind of work in Scrivener with it or, or what, but um, I may just keep to the old format. It's just, I, I really have to line it up. I have to be like, this character was born yeah. here, died here. Like it's just a whole long chronology. <laughs> Otherwise, yeah. I'm, you know what I tend to do, Vicky, is just um, fudge things as I'm writing. Yeah. Because I yeah. get in the flow and I'm like, I don't know, roughly seven years ago. Yeah, just say seven years oh, ago. You know, oh, I'm so glad to hear that because my writer's group is starting to tell me, hey, you're getting the timeline down really good when you say, and it was five summers ago. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> make it specific. Stop making it specific. I'm like, oh, that. That's the trick. (laughs) I love it. That's so funny. Well, since you've talked about, you know, you are published. So let's, let's jump in that a little bit. Tell us um, the titles that you have published and then we'll get on kind of the journey of publishing for you. Um, Great. Yeah. So my first book came out uh, at the very end of 2018 and it was called Rapid Falls. And it's funny when we talk about timelines with that one because it's written in two timelines and I don't know if I ever, ever again will write in two (laughs) timelines, you know, but I'm so, so glad I did it with my debut because I didn't even know how challenging really that was until I realized sort of how I was that I was writing a book. Um, But Rapid Falls, as I said, is set in two timelines, present day and 1997, which is the graduation year of uh, one of two sisters and also um, the year in which her boyfriend is killed okay. in an accident uh, caused by her sister. Oh, no. By that's drunk driving. Oh, that's even the worst. Oh. Who serves time for the crime. So it goes back and forth between that night of like that year of their prom night and um, present day in which they're sort of grappling with the addictions issues that have come out of a sister serving time and, and trying to struggle with the fact that her actions killed someone. Um, so yeah, it's a complicated book and, um, it was, it was well received. It was shortlisted for the Whistler book award. There were some, it hit number one on the Amazon charts. It did quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, and now just, um, so was that self-published or did you, you had a, oh, sorry. Actual- that was published by Lake Union. Um, oh, okay. It was the first of a three-book deal. Nice. Uh, so I've been working with them ever since. And I, it's been an amazing relationship. They're an incredible publisher and not so far away from you. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And so they uh, have been just in, in so supportive of what I'm trying to do with these <laughs> unreliable narrators and sort of dark stories. Um, and... Uh, my second book then came out a few months ago and it's called Raven Lane. Mm-hmm. And 
it deals with a suburban neighborhood where all of the neighbors are extremely close, parties and and relationships and looking after each other's child each other's children, but they're maybe a little too close for comfort. Mm-hmm. And um, the book begins with my main character's husband um, driving out of his driveway and hitting a cyclist who turns out to be one of their neighbors. Oh, no. Oh, how perfect opening. I did read, uh, I think, uh, on your website, it's kind of got the desperate housewife feel. And I'm like, oh, yes, that story hooked me in immediately for season. <laughs> yeah, and there's been comparisons sort of to Big Little Lies, Desperate oh, Housewives, those sort of steamy neighborhoods where a lot is going on behind closed doors. I mean, I don't want to live in that environment, but I sure love being entertained by it and reading (laughs) and watching it. And the funny thing was, I, you know, so publishing is is a funny business because you're, you're a year ahead. You've written your books a year ahead of the time that they actually get released out into the world. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, when I finished Raven Lane, truly like copy edits, everything, we had the cover, it was ready to go. It was just kind of like, we just wait those 12 months for it to actually be released. Um, I moved to a cul-de-sac neighborhood where there's like about oh. eight houses that are really close together. Everybody's going to think you wrote it about them. This is the thing because I moved there and then a year later the book was coming out. So it would seem like to, you know, like a rational mind who didn't know like this sort of timeline of, of publishing that I was writing it. Oh, you have to play <laughs> that. I would play that. Oh yeah. It's all about you guys. <laughs> yeah. I've been, I've been keeping my cards to be close to the chest on that one. I know. Well, I tell them, but I mean, I would use it as a total fun thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. I wrote that all about you. Cause you know, us writers, we're always writing about it. What can I say? You're my muse. That's so funny. I love it. Well, hopefully they, they won't run you out of the cul-de-sac. Yes. <laughs> well, so far so good. Yeah. I love it. So tell us um, a little bit about the process for you. Did you said you have a three book deal with this particular publishing place. Now, did you have an agent that shopped you around? How did you land that situation? Um, so my story is a bit strange because I, um, I am Canadian and I have an American publisher, which doesn't always happen, but I was, I had this finished manuscript, like what I thought was finished manuscript, and I was pitching it to agents to editors in Canada. I participated in some Twitter pitch events and got like nods and um, offers of uh, reading from that. And um, I entered it in contests. I got it like shortlisted at, like I said, the Whistler Book Award. Um, But I wasn't really getting, you know, an actual deal, which was what I wanted. And sort of on a whim, I just Googled writing conferences near me. And I found the Seattle Writers Workshop. And that's the kind of workshop where they have pitch sessions in person with mm-hmm. agents and editors. Mm-hmm. And in Canada, it's quite common for an author to be unagented, like to have no agent at all. Oh, okay. Um, whereas in the U.S., it's, it's completely different, right? It's wow. very uncommon to have no agent when you sign a deal. Yeah. Um, but when I saw the list of people who would be accepting pitches, I 
ticked off a number of agents, but I also ticked off um, a couple of acquiring editors. And the honest truth was, I really didn't know what genre Rapid Falls was in. Like I had no idea the specificity of it. And it's diff- it was difficult for me to know. Like I knew <laughs> there was like so, some suspense and tension, but I just didn't have that ability to step outside and understand exactly what my work would be. So I actually pitched Montlake, which is the romance imprint of APUB, of Amazon Publishing. And I was so, so, so lucky because um, the editor that I pitched, whose name is Alison Dasho, she works in between imprints. And so she was able to acquire for Lake Union, which is, it's more of a fit, right? Because Rapid Falls isn't really a romantic suspense. Like, it's it's more in the suspense genre. So um, I had this wonderful meeting, and I was able to sign a deal. And uh, the deal was for one book, but because I had other manuscripts, I used the deal to contact um, a number of agents, and I ended up signing with Fuse Literary, um, specifically Gordon Warnock, who was my agent, and he negotiated uh, a deal for my second and my third books. Very nice. That That is unusual. And I didn't realize that in Canada, it's not, agents wasn't like the standard as it is here in America. At all. Yeah, not so. at all. See, I should move to Canada. <laughs> right? It's so it's it's an it's a different world, you know. The editors then most of them are acquiring that work at publishing houses, and there's not a lot in Canada. And so the um, the sort of gatekeeping that happens within the industry in Canada is maybe even more like it's stronger than in the U.S. I, I think there's more agents in the U.S. than there are acquiring editors in Canada. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it makes sense. But there's, I kind of feel like it. it's a hard thing to get an agent and get your book out in traditional publishing. Now, that's why so many people are going self-publishing or hybrid publishing, because it's really hard now because there's so very few um, publishing, really good publishing huge places that are going to, and they're going to take the best of the best, right? Absolutely. <laughs> so, but I think that makes that creates a lot of opportunities for yeah. authors. Yeah. And um, I think that's like, it's an interesting world that we're in at this moment. And I like the fact that there's different platforms available for people mm-hmm. to get their pieces out into the world. And I think, you know, there's a lot of authors at Lake Union who had incredible success and still continue to with self-published books mm-hmm. and and publish with Lake Union and do like a, an absolutely kind of crazy and intricate uh, mix of different publishing platforms. And I, I really respect that and admire that. I think it's a neat way to build a career. I think that it's absolutely like, I kind of feel like the sky's the limit for anybody that's willing to understand that you can have that kind of flexibility. To, and it doesn't have to be one way. You don't only have to be a traditional speaking from somebody who's not even published yet, but you don't have to be just a traditional published author. You can be a published, traditional published author for a book, but you yes. may have other stories or books that you will do in a different format or as a, you know, your own self-publishing. Um, this month I had my first blog post out from one of the authors on um, the Office of the Pacific Northwest and Frank, and Frank actually wrote a really nice post about the pros and cons of being a hybrid published 
um, author because he's both. He does um, self-publishing and he also is published with a um, press. And so I just find that we're kind of in a fascinating place if you're willing to be flexible and willing to put some work into it because I think that's yes. a lot of work regardless of what kind of publishing you get. <laughs> yes, and I think that's I think that's such an interesting moment um, at this point because it's sort of, I, I'm just taking it, trying to take a bit of a pause. I'm in between, I just submitted um, my third book and I'm about to start something new and like I said, edit um, what, something that already exists, but I have a little bit of a breather and I'm trying to figure out what is the best use of energy? Because there's just so many ways to promote yourself and to build that platform and those readers so that you can just get your books out to as many people as possible in whatever way you choose to do it. And I, I think it's so fascinating and at times daunting, honestly, how many different mechanisms and methods you can use to be a writer and have writing be what puts food on your table. Yes. Well, I'll be honest with you. Well, first off, thank you for taking the time and energy to be with us because you could have had so many other options. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm happy to do it. I mean, these are, the other thing you have to do too is, is balance like what the, you enjoy. Mm-hmm. I think you do the best at what you enjoy, no matter what any kind of guidebook or any kind of website tells you to do, you really have to be present and engaged yeah, with the thing yeah. that you're doing for it to have any kind of value. Yeah. And I so appreciate that. Cause, um, today, just today, I was struggling myself with all that I feel like I put in front of me for 2020. I, you know, I've spent already a lot of time thinking about what I want to do for 2020 and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, why don't I just quit everything and write the darn book? (laughs) I just had this conversation with my writing group too. That's the, that's the piece, right? That's the most important thing. Not only that will produce hopefully the sweetest fruit, mm-hmm. but also it's why you're doing what you're doing. You know, it's for the love of, of writing. If you're really in, for me, when I'm in the middle of a book, I feel um, like nothing. It's like no other form of work for me. It's such a joy. And um, I don't want to lose that, but it's easy to get distracted from it. And it's, that's the point of it is to write is to make the stories and then figure everything else out. Exactly. And I'm kind of doing it opposite. I'm trying to get all this other stuff figured out before a book is even finished or before I even decide how I'm going to publish it. The podcast started out from that question of, oh my gosh, I don't know how to publish these days because things are very different. Let me ask some people. But I love the podcast so much and I get so much energy from it. And then, you know, I'm starting this another project this year around researching because, you know, I'm a historical fiction writer and I have a library background. And I'm like, there's so many times I have authors talk to me about researching. I'm like, I'll just put together some some help for them in researching. And, you know, my husband's like, another side project. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm like, yes, but it, it keeps me energized in believing that when that book, my books come out, then, um, you know, that part's done. I'll start on another story, but I, I keep helping the community as much as I can as I go. I mean, I, I felt like I was at the other side where I had this 
you know, manuscript where I was like, okay, here, great. Like, and I'm just yelling into a void because I didn't have any of those connections. Like, and I hadn't, you know, I'd been working, like I said, in professional writing fields, like for so long. And none of them were like, they were like, you write suspense novels too? I'm like, I know it's weird. Also, it has a really dark ending. So don't judge me. I love dark I love it. Well, let's jump into it. I mean, because I think you and I, Amber, could talk forever about all of this stuff. And and I love our connection that we're having, but I know my listeners are probably getting really close to pulling into their parking spot as they're driving (laughs) I-5, you know, to their job or home, and they really want to hear your story. So I'm going to go quiet, and I'm going to let you set the stage for us. So um, share with us what you can about the story around the characters before you start reading, and just go ahead and launch into it for us. Fantastic. So I think this is something I would love to teach a class on is choosing a reading. Um, I really struggle with it, but I also really enjoy it. And the best advice again that I ever got uh, was when you are doing a reading, you're trying to draw people into the story. When you're trying to draw people into a story, you start at the beginning. And so your reading should come from the beginning. So this comes from the first chapter, uh, of Raven Lane. And Esme, my main character, and her husband, Benedict, have been having a lovely glass of wine on their back patio. Um, It's a Friday night. They've had some good news. They're celebrating. But they realize that once they've finished the first bottle of wine, they have nothing left in the house, and they're hoping that they can invite some of their neighbors over from this close-knit neighborhood. So Benedict decides to take a quick drive around the corner and pick up a few more bottles of wine, and then they're going to be inviting people over. So um, I'm going to start with Esme standing in her driveway, watching her husband begin to pull away. The sharp rattle of the motor of their compact SUV brought her attention back to her husband. Through the two-inch gap of the unrolled window, Esme could hear the heavy, excited consonants of German broadcasters announcing a European football match. Benedict winked at her through the windshield, tapping his hands on the steering wheel before giving her a wolfish grin. In a heady rush of wine, she leaned forward and pulled down the stretchy fabric of her dress, revealing an intricately laced bra. Her unusual daring captured Benedict completely, and he kept his eyes locked on her, even as he reversed down the driveway. Esme heard the crunch of impact, the sickening sound of his car hitting something, someone. The thick thud of a vehicle striking muscle and bone was both unfathomable and immediately familiar. It had the same obscene thwack as Esme tenderizing meat in her restaurant kitchen. In an instant, Benedict's expression changed from lust to terror. Esme sprinted down the slight slope of the driveway past her stunned husband who had already opened the door and exited. She rounded the vehicle and saw the lean body of torn Grace, their neighbor from two doors down, sprawled out with the back of his head against the pavement. As her feet rushed to close the distance to his body, her mind made sense of the accident and staccato burst like a camera freezing still shots of the scene so she could process it one tiny piece at a time. Torn's bicycle was twisted beneath Benedict's back tire. He must have been thrown from it by the impact of the crash. When she reached Torn's body, she saw his blue eyes staring up at the deep pink and purple sky. 
A day's worth of black stubble dotted his jawline. Her stomach heaved as her hearing amplified. Benedict's breath was heavy and uneven behind her. She turned to look at her husband, who was still standing by the driver's side as if frozen in place. Her gaze darted away from him and back to the bike lodged underneath the car, its wheels spinning. The catch of the rough edges of the tire's rim against the bent fender ticked like a cicada in the quiet summer air. The cement beneath her knees was still warm from the late afternoon sun, though she couldn't shake the feeling that it had been heated by the life leaving Torn's body. She touched the skin on his neck, feeling frantically for a pulse. She had to resist a sudden deep urge to gather him in her arms and weep when she failed to find the steady rhythm of his heartbeat. Instead, she unbuttoned his shirt and began CPR. She couldn't tell if she was imagining it, but Torn's body felt cooler with each compression on his chest. No breath came from him as she fit her mouth onto his. Had Benedict been going fast enough to kill him? A chill flooded through her when she realized that she could be touching a body and not a human. Her dark thoughts nearly broke her rhythm, but she pushed them away until she felt nothing. Footsteps, people, voices thumped hollowly against her like heavy-bodied moths pummeling a glass door. She lifted her head after a breath to see Kitty D'Agostino's long tan legs in a pristine linen suit. Kitty's face was pale under a heavy layer of makeup. Esme's panic, panic ratcheted up when she saw the fear in Kitty's mascara-framed blue eyes. A sharp spike of adrenaline stabbed the middle of her forehead as she turned back to Torn. The dull roar of sound formed into language when Kitty spoke. Her voice was raw as her flurry of words changed to sobs as he jerked her head toward the car where Benedict still stood. He hadn't moved an inch since climbing out of the driver's seat. Kitty, call 911. We need an ambulance. A muted burst of laughter from a Main Street bar was the only sound beside Kitty, besides Kitty's hurried request to the dispatcher. Esme kept pressing Torn's chest up and down, however futile the effort. Between breaths, she stared behind her husband to the pale purple streaks across the summer sky. The wind was in her favor. She could smell the evening roses. She breathed in and out, trying to focus on the sweet scent for one last moment before her life changed forever. The end. <laughs> oh my goodness. I could see the entire scene. It's like perfect. I'm hooked and you did a great job in hooking us. <laughs> Thank you. I love that scene. I think it was the first thing that came to my mind when I thought of the story and I still get kind of goosebumps when I read it. It's just like the craziest setup to imagine. I love it. Oh, it's perfect. And a, what a great way to get started, right? In my opinion, it's like... You know, it's an exciting incident. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Now, um, Amber, I want to go back to one thing that you said before you started reading because I go on mute and so I knew I was going to back around to this again. I loved that you said that um, you would love to like teach a class about for authors for picking their reading because I think that is the number one thing that really propelled me for wanting to also do this podcast sure. was to give authors that experience of really reading their work and, and having it in a different medium like old radios you know, used to be and people would get hooked. Totally. Um, because it's actually an art form to be able to share your reading. It's one thing to write it. It's another thing to read it out loud and, and share it in a dramatic way. Absolutely. So you did a very bravo job. Thank you so much for, for, for bringing that out. But also I loved how you read it. it. It was wonderful. Very good. So, 
So um, aspiring authors that aren't published, listen to this one because this was oh. a good one on reading. <laughs> Thank you. I like, that's a real a compliment I'm taking very, very deeply because I find reading to be really difficult. Mm-hmm. I, um, I, I really, I think part of it is like, it's difficult um, when you've read it, when you haven't read it at all, like you, like you said, when you're, you, you've written it, but you haven't read it that much, but then it actually gets difficult when you've read it a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there's sort of two edges of it where I think, I, I think the best, again, advice that I ever got was um, when you take a, a passage and you're thinking about reading it, um, to really feel so free to scribble out bits and and not and skip over sections and understand that there's some things that translate better um, through the the reading mind than through the listening mind. Mm-hmm. And so the passage that I just read to you, it's really heavily excerpted. Like there's a lot of things that happen um, that I've just scratched out because it's dialogue or it introduces a character that you don't really need to know about to propel that particular action. And so if you looked at the draft that I read from it's almost like sacrilegious it has like scribbles and underlines and things all over the place but that makes me me feel a little bit um more prepared but also like more fluid as I'm reading because I can change it if I want to as I go and I think that is actually an amazing point for people to hear so if you are an author that is going to be do reading in your future besides practicing I preach the practicing part because see not everybody realizes for me I public speaking and speaking to people on the phone or speaking in public in any way was a huge thing I refused to do. I couldn't do because I grew oh, up with a speech impediment. And now you're a podcaster. And I know. <laughs> and I wouldn't even talk on the phone. My full-time job, I talk to students every day on the phone, eight to 10 hours a day. I cold call people all the time. And um, even, you know, 23 years ago when I married my husband, he couldn't get me on the phone because of my speaking. I was so intimidated because I didn't, I, I didn't know how to do it well. And then I lucked out to have a really amazing speech coach in a um, community college class. And he was also an acting coach. And he taught me how to um, do it so well that years ago, about five years ago, one of my... Um, my supervisors at a, a face-to-face conference that we had to go do, he was asking everybody what their their um, thing that they needed to work on. And he goes, and if it's public speaking, blah, blah, blah. And, and then, and then um, he finally came to me, he goes, Vicki, is there anything that you want to work on for professional development? I go, no, I think I'm okay. And he goes, not public speaking. I go, no, I think I got that down. And then I had to get up and do a huge presentation <laughs> in our peers with about probably 500 people of our peers. Oh and I had no problem in doing it. Got up, did great, sat down. He comes up to me, goes, I thought you were joking. Cause he was just getting to know me. Cause I thought you were joking. He goes, you have absolutely no problem public speaking. And I said, well, little did you know that Five years ago, you wouldn't have been able to get me on the stage, even for professional reasons. <laughs> that's amazing. And, because and it's such a skill. It is a skill. And that's what I, I think that's what I want to come around to share with everybody of, of what you're saying is that as authors, we just assume that authors are going to be great at reading their work, but that's a different set of skills. And so I'm glad you brought that up. And I love having the podcast to where we can give authors that opportunity to try it in a different way. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and really do, like, I think that you don't have to be bound by your own words. They're your mm-hmm. words and you can change them as you 
like. That's the greatest thing about writing a story. (laughs) And the thing that I love that I'm going to point out to you is I love how you use um, dramatic pausing. Um, I don't think that authors tend to know that when they read that it's okay to have pauses while you're reading in perfect places if you've practiced it because it bring instead of just reading straight through a passage you know mm-hmm. it, it gives us that dramatic pause that we as listeners need to have and feel so so bravo great job boy that just took us down another road amber you and i could do a podcast just on us talking about stuff <laughs> <laughs> I do I do tend to have that that effect on podcasters. I'm a bit of a chatty person. I love it. I, I love these kind of podcasts, but my poor listeners are like, okay, Vicky, great. So let's do this. Let's end the podcast with this, Amber. Why don't you share with us what you have coming up in 2020? Um, all my listeners know that they can go to my show notes and find you there and get in connection with you through Facebook and your social media and your website, but kind of give us a real quick recap of what you might have coming up so that people can find you. Okay, sure. I'd love that. So I have kind of three areas that I'm like, this is what I said when I was trying to focus my time. There's three areas that I think are really important in 2020. So the first is I'm going to continue to freelance. I had a couple pieces, a few pieces published last year, one in the New York Times, one in um, Salon and Crime Reads and a few other publications. And so I want to keep doing those shorter essays because they're quite fun and satisfying in between novels. Mm -hmm. I'm also hoping to put the finishing polish on one of my manuscripts and, um, and draft something completely new that's sort of vaguely outlined, but um, I want to have those both finished at, definitely um, and a possible, you know, this sort of like opening sketch for a third, but definitely the first two. And then I also, the, the last thing is I want to um, keep doing teaching and going to conferences and being on panels. So I have um, tentatively accepted to go to the Pacific Northwest Writers Association Conference again this year because I had such a blast last year. It was, a, it was amazing to teach and the panels that I got to be on were so incredible and it's just a really lovely community and it's always 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 fun for me to go to Seattle. Um, I have an author event that's coming up likely in April. We're still finalizing the detail but it's going to be with several other Lake Union authors um, like Nicole Meyer, Nicole uh, Person who writes under Jennifer Gold and um, Kim Blake Kim Taylor Blakemore. Um, but we're still putting the final touches on that. So we'll be promoing it when we figure it out. And then I think I'm going to go to a couple local festivals for me in Canada. Um, one is um, the Whistler Writers Festival and one is the Surrey International Writers Conference, um, and which are all happening in the fall. So it's going to, I really am looking at 2020 thinking, okay, like there's so many actual events and, and things that are happening in fall. I got to take like the uh, winter and spring and summer to really focus on the writing. And honestly, that's the best feeling to know that what I need to work on right now is putting together a story because it is my favorite thing. I love it. How exciting. So listeners, she's going to be in the Northwest at a conference. So I am beg you that if you go to the conference, you know, look for, say, Hey, I heard John Vicky's podcast. <laughs> and maybe I will actually make a commitment to go to the conference. Yes. Please. I was going to say, maybe we'll get to see Vicky there. I know. I just keep, I keep saying, I got to get to some local conferences. And I just know that when I get there, it's going to be a blast because I've met so many awesome authors and people. So I just need to make the commitment, the time commitment to do it. So yeah, definitely. Definitely. Well, I have 
I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> Maybe before that, it'll be Portland. You never know. Hey, Portland, Portland's fantastic as well. <laughs> <laughs> you got some great places there to go to. So Amber, it's been an absolute joy having you on the podcast. And when you have another book come out, definitely look me up, let me know so we can bring you back on so you can share that with us again and our listeners. And um, listeners, if you loved what you heard, grab her book, make sure you let her know you got a book and that you have read it um, and share with her that you heard her on the podcast. So Amber, thanks so much for being here with us. It was absolutely my pleasure. Really such a fun time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope you enjoyed the episode as much as we did. Follow us on social media and sign up for our newsletter, where you can be entered automatically each month to win a signed free copy of a book from an author that's appeared on the podcast. You can find out more at our website, www.squishpin.com. And finally, if you're an author in the Pacific Northwest and you would like to appear on the show, you can find out more on our website. So until next week, I hope you enjoy the journey. This is Vicki J. Carter signing off.